Welcome back to the Eden's Apple Podcast. My name is Val. And I'm Kim. And, and we I'm have, Dion. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we have the amazing Dion joining us today. They are still our favorite guests. Oh, thank you. Yes. I love um, being able to participate when I can. What's the topic today? Well, the topic is a whole big can of worms called racism in the church. We really do need to address how hand in hand those things seem to have become. Yeah, just because a lot of people, if you have listened to the podcast and you don't know already, I am a white person. I'm the palest motherfucker. So <laughs> I just wanted to preface that. You didn't already guess. I um, am also a white person and Dion I don't want you to feel like you're being pigeonholed in this role as our guest our audience is still small enough I think our last episode had like 25 listens so I feel that we are still small enough as a podcast to be like well we're having our friends on as guests but as always if you're in the audience and you want to talk to us we would love to do that and I think I am going to start making some direct calls and like posts around the internet asking for people to be guests so yeah and thank you for bringing that up first I do think that's always important is I am black and I know both of you know it but just for the record I'm black but I do not speak for all of the black people in the world but I, this is also something I'm really passionate about because I feel like it's very taboo I lived with a um, woman who was Mormon and I of course asked the question y'all because like we've all heard it that like there's this thing about the darker your skin is the further you away from God you are type of like and I didn't know if it was a rumor or anything and I remember that being like maybe like oh that was terrible y'all might have been the third question uh. I asked this person <laughs> like hi what's your name we're roommates yeah so about that darker mm. skin being further away from God thing uh. <laughs> <laughs> you're like <laughs> You know, just some light early conversation in this meeting. Just a little bit of talk about the weather, you know. It's a huge problem in Mormonism. Mm. And like, I think up until the 80s, they still were of the opinion that if you had dark skin, it was considered the mark of Cain. Mm. So you were like a brother murderer or some shit. And it's like, bruh, like this is fucked up i don't know how it persisted inside of the religion for so long it really Um, is wild yeah how each religious sect has their own uniquely terrible relationship with race yeah yeah especially within and i and i should add to that within christianity i do think I, i don't know a ton more like religions that have the stress on colorism and race that christianity does like of course the tie-ins of the quote old testament right like um that come out of um jewish practice but are not the same as jewish practice there's some very interesting stuff in those but yeah definitely at my church there was this um and again i should highlight that the church i grew up was you know quote non-denominational it was pentecostal Mm -hmm. non-denominational um fundamentalist um and almost all black like there were like other people of other races and ethnic backgrounds but in general when you kind of skirted your eyes over the crowd it was mostly black people and even within that, there was a lot of kind of internalized oppression. Like, oh, because mm-hmm. you are Black, you are more likely to commit this sin. And therefore, we have to work 10 times harder. Like that type of very internalized, this is what people have said about us. And therefore, it must be true. So we have to work to disprove that it was really, I mean, you can imagine it's fucked up to try to grow into a human with that type of, oh, I'm naturally bad. But that's also that's also fundamentalist Christianity, right? That right. we're born yeah. dirty, right. we're, we're bad from the beginning that's the nature of establishing hierarchies someone's always going to be on the bottom and if you keep us divided fighting to not be the lowest on the ship pile i wanted to talk about also how linked misogyny is to racism because personally i believe if you can convince yourself that men should have authority over women and children you can probably convince yourself that they should have authority over other kinds of men i hear that and i'm going to add there is a tie a very meaningful tie in normative gendering pink and blue you know that type of stuff mm-hmm as well as it's stemming out of racism that once upon a time after kind of during the renaissance era 
the concept was that races that were both non-Christian and uh, not white were less gendered. So in this theory, Black men and Black women look more alike than white men and white women because we are further from God and we are very animalistic, you know, and so therefore we look more alike in that to be gendered to be a prim, tiny woman with perky breasts and a round butt and a man with a square body, that was like proving your whiteness. Both what you said that, okay, we're going to create a gender hierarchy, but then also tying that gender into race and religion was important. It was important to creating that 1950s, what we end up with in the 40s and 50s, this like horror of being different, this like assimilate at the cost of anything type of mentality. It was all tied into a bunch of that. I feel like you touched on something that I can definitely relate to in terms of like the gendering being such a, a big part of the power structure, especially. But like this, this concept of like women in the church making themselves super small, you know, like the more dainty, the tinier, like, oh, I need to be protected. Oh, I'll have the man care for me. And like, they have all the power. They're the ones with like physical abilities there was that dynamic where they they constantly wanted to create that so like women who had like larger bodies or women who were just not inherently like small were considered less chaste in chaste. some way or like yeah feminine one of the things that frustrates me so much about this topic as a white woman was that the idea of men as being protective women is the biggest bullshit my experiences with men have been experiences that I've survived. Like, I just want to state for the record, if you are a cishet dude and you're extremely concerned with protecting women, the best way you can do that is by going to therapy. In so many cases, like these men who positioned themselves as protectors for me were in fact the people who were hurting me the most. And it's especially gross with the idea of like white men protecting white women from people of color. It's so inherently vile and it's also always been a giant lie. It's just so gross. Yeah, we can see this now for those of you who don't go to church just like we did when we were younger. It's very apparent within the local landscape, the larger landscape in the U.S. right now with a lot of the trans bathroom laws. You have these cishet men saying, no, you can't let trans women because they're they're men trying to predate women when it's like, no, actually, y'all, that's you. That's you. We can just look up the records and see all of the cishet men. You don't find records of trans women <laughs> sneaking into bathrooms, assaulting people, or like accosting people on walking trails while they're trying to jog or at the dog park. Like the data is out there and it is not in their favor, yet they insist um, and that's actually an issue I had with Christianity my entire life is an important part of it for some reason is blind faith, just believing something because somebody said it was true. It doesn't matter what the data says. It doesn't matter what you're seeing and witnessing with your own being. It's just all about believing it. And it, it's to a point that it's, it's sickening really, because it lets us set things up like, oh, well, people of color are quote dangerous. When if you look here in America, that is not who commits most right. of the crimes in America, I was especially gonna... like heinous, terrible, you know, right. crimes. I was going to say, because I've been so obsessed with true crime, I think one of the positive things that true crime has accomplished is directly informing a bunch of white women how absolutely fucked the system is to people of color because you have to be really delusional to not pick up on that. It shows up constantly, not only in the way that the system treats Black people, but in how many chances white men get to be terrible. Like you look at any of the major serial killers, which are all white men, like the most well-known ones, cops just let them off chance after chance after chance. It really is pronounced how much of a lie that whole concept is that white men protect us from anything. By and large, they are the problem. And I read in the book Pure, and I totally related to this, being sold the idea of your father as the protector so hard core that you start to believe it. And it's not until you take a step back as an adult and look at it where you're like, no, actually, you didn't protect me from anything. You made my life more difficult. Yeah. And I think that it kind of goes back to 
those people who have the most power are always going to be the people that will abuse and like take advantage of the situation because when you have that power structure you realize that you can get away with more whether it's wealth or whether it's you know just a sense of superiority because of race because of religion and often like a combination of all of those things we as a people like to think of character as being innate when in reality character is made of the decisions we make every single day and so the thing is yeah you put a guy in a position where he has unlimited authority and like access to a lot of money even if he wasn't that bad of a person at the start he will eventually convince himself that he deserves things like to sleep with children he deserves your money he deserves your time like this is just something that the human brain will do if you put it in this position of power so i think let's stop putting people in positions to have that much power well and also the part that I feel religion adds to it. And this is one that, again, I do not speak for every Black person, but this is one that I have had a lot of issues with in my life is religion for me as a Black person tried to do two things. It tried to placate my anger and say, oh, okay, horrible things are happening in your life, but God's building you a huge house in heaven. You will have your own castle when you die. Put up with it. Put up with the harm. Put up with the terrible things that are happening. Suffer ye little children. Blessed are the meek. Blah, blah, blah. You know, so it tried to placate my anger, my very real anger at both systemic issues that were like international, right? But also at just little, not even little, but issues within my own personal life. It tried to placate all that because if I complain too much, my grandma reminded me of Delilah nagging. Delilah nagging the strong man Samson until finally he gives up his secret and how horrible it is for women to nag, for women to not be happy with what they have. Honestly, part of me feels like the Bible is intentional subterfuge. It intentionally is there to weaken movements and make people's fights less efficient because there's always some type of fucking lesson, right? It's okay to beat children because spare the rod and spoil the child. It's okay that your life is miserable because blessed are the meek. You know, like there was always some type of excuse for the horrible things that were happening. It was just terrible. And it plays into this power trip because then you have the opposite going on for people who are, especially people born into a place of power, right? Like the person who's born with money, they take over daddy's business and not saying they don't work at all, right? But that, no, it's not the same as being born and digging yourself out of a fucking hole, part of a congregation where you're at the back not able to talk, not able to be seen, stuffed into the most uncomfortable vestment that exists in human nature, right? It's very different. And it tells them, oh, look at what God's rewarding you with. You have a nice house and a fancy company. So they actually start to feel like the things that are wrong are right. Religion tells them they must be doing the right thing because they're prospering and the wicked can't prosper, right? So they must be doing the right thing. And that's the thing that I feel like is so dangerous about not calling this out within religion is it's priming people's reward pathways and saying, look, God's God's still giving you favor. You must be doing everything correct while telling other people, nope, nope, hold on to that anger. Don't you dare show anger. God's building you a house. Like, (laughs) I don't want a house. I want a good life. I think that's an important point. Like the, the whole people being born into wealth, like you get to a certain point where having that much money actively makes you more stupid. Realistically, all of your problems can be solved with money. So like all of this struggle that people go through to overcome these like limitations that life has put on us, it does make us really resourceful. I think there's something to the idea that allowing people to have this much money is harmful for them as well as the rest of the people. Like they're not going to feel it the way we do, but it's not good for them. But another topic I wanted to discuss, like this is a personal theory of mine, the connection between biblical literalism and believing in the constitution as being infallible because there's a lot of overlap in those communities and I think that if you have been conditioned to view the bible as 100% literal and being told that it is the only source you should consume you are already predisposed to view a document that was written hundreds of years ago as being accurate and infallible like sure let's just throw away hundreds of years of knowledge that we've acquired since then because the founding fathers were magic or whatever. Yeah, I think that at least in this, I feel like this is congregation to congregation. Like this is going to be like, however your 
particular inside of the Mormon re- religion, it's like the priesthood holder or like whoever your your prophet is, like how they decide to spin it. And I feel like in modern times, inside of the the Mormon congregation that I grew up in, they tended to spin things in that a non literal way, uh, unless it really suited whatever it was that they were they were gonna talk about. Like they were like, okay, so it's absolutely one for one here but whenever it talks about like oh don't eat shellfish they're just kind of like oh yeah just like don't eat you know just be careful about the things that you eat because back then it would like give you dysentery or something so it was very like pick and choose like how they decided to be literal about things because I think they realized later on when they were on a much more global scale that like things did not translate well to other places like and since Mormonism is like big about being prophets they taught you how to like teach certain lessons in certain communities different ways so that they would sort of fit a narrative that was more consumable even though like of course like you know this is still the the word of god but you know talk to people in japan one way and people in you know south america a different way my church is really similar about it really depended on who was talking so now what's interesting is my church had a lot of i'm going to use the word very lovingly because i practice magic a lot of magic in it we had evangelists that would come in when babies were being christened and tell you about what they saw in their future we had they, they didn't, they called them like, oh gosh, ministers of the Holy Spirit, something like that. It was a long one, but they were prophets. They pretty much, you know, used all sorts of things, like the way a scar healed to tell you about future accidents. Like there was actually, and then they, there were like scholars who studied, and here's where the translation part. So there were scholars who studied the Bible as well as we had this one huge one. And it was in, if I'm remembering right, it was in Greek latin and king james i think is what it was it was like skinny columns and then at the bottom was footnotes where some other person i don't know who had said what it meant to them or whatever and talked about translation stuff so they actually did a lot of studying and what my church always fell back onto is so let's say shellfish why can we eat shellfish well that was before grace so since that was before the birth of christ that law doesn't count now when you really break the bible down though most of the law most of it's in leviticus period But most of it is within the parables and systems within the Old Testament. There's a few things in the New Testament, but we didn't follow those either. Love your brother like yourself, right? That's like one of the few Jesus notes that like actual Jesus said. And that wasn't exactly what my church was practicing. I mean, they pretended it, but yeah, they they got to translate. You were not allowed to question their translations of the word of God. The other thing that would happen is all of a sudden in the middle of like reading something, they'd be like, and the Lord is calling me to chapter seven of, and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. They would read like half a sentence and then skip to a whole nother book of the Bible and read the other half of the sentence and say that God made them do that. That's the order it's supposed to be in. This is now the word of God. So now you get rid of the whole, it was written thousands of years ago problem because the spirit is still moving the person through the text with this like Bible maze, word crossword puzzle thing. And they would just put sentences together. And I gotta admit it was impressive, but it was all up to, you know, whoever the minister was at that time, they could say what it meant. But wow, Kim, I really had not really thought about that, that yeah, if you grew up being told that some ancient fucking triple translated text is word for word the truth, then of course it makes sense to them that the constitution makes sense. Like, wow, I I remember being a kid and realizing all the spelling errors that were in the constitution. And I understand now it's problematic in classes and ableist, but as a little kid, I was like, but they can't even spell. Why should I read this document? They can't spell anything right. It makes sense. I hadn't really thought about that religious type that people grow up being taught that this ancient manual and for all, and not you know what it's not even a book it's a collection of diaries and journals it's not even one book and they just are told it's a book they accept that and they accept that at stake of their lives like there's a reason only europe had a dark ages they try to oh it's the fall of the, the roman empire did not fall it transformed to Christendom. It literally became Christianity. They lost everything in that process. And there's a reason that it happened. They teach people to view it as the primary source. And if anything outside conflicts with it, then that thing is wrong because you know that the word of God is true. And so you compare everything against the Bible. That's just bad research. 
it's hard when, you know, young earth creationists are out here wanting you to take them seriously about their science. And it's like, from the ground up, everything you are built on is wrong. And there's so many things with the Bible that it's like a wink and a nudge and like, yeah, it's literal, but we don't take this part literal. Like, well, why does grace make it okay for us to eat shellfish, but not for us to be gay? It is like handicapping people's ability to use their own judgment and think critically about things. It's very insidious. Pretty sketch. I do want to say I used as an argument once about homosexuality, as they like to call it. One of my preachers brought up that the stuff in the New Testament that was against homosexuality is that is because that is the way Judas pointed out Jesus to the soldiers by kissing him. What? I'm serious. Somebody literally (laughs) said, that's how you know homosexuality is wrong, is that Judas kissed Jesus in order to show him. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. If Judas kissed Jesus, that means they had kissed before. Or else Jesus would have been like, homie, what is up? Why are you on me like this? Like, but no, that means they had kissed before. He was open to the kiss. It's like a mutual thing. Yeah. Yeah. You don't just get kissed. Like, I actually tried once to like, but they kissed in the Bible and they were like, no, but that's what makes it wrong. <laughs> and it's like, okay, then you can't argue. Well, of course that's the other part, right? The race thing, the way that people translate the Bible as something literal, you can't argue them with logic. Like they're not using logic. So you can't actually even argue with them. There's so many things that they've already accepted this internal inconsistency in their logic. It's hard to call them out on anything or get them to come to any kind of realization because they've already just accepted so much that's not true that they're delusional yeah i mean on the bounds of any like actual research there's just so many things that with any like level of scientific evidence you could disprove from the bible so fighting with those people feels really pointless well it's also what's interesting to me is i watched a um tv show years ago i don't remember who it was um but it was actually really interesting and what it did is it laid out where in history the whole moses thing happened happened. They found people from the Middle East who were enslaved in Egypt. They found a volcanic eruption, which would have led to the sky turning black, which would have led to a specific lake having so much acid in it that all the frogs and bugs, they found a lo- They found all of these things within the same historical period that would have aligned with the whole story of the Exodus. And Christians got mad. I don't know how the Jewish people took it. Christians got mad. They were pissed. So it's like, wait, so you don't want us to prove what you believe is correct, but you also don't want us to prove what you believe is is wrong. And the thing, at least at my church, is that part of religion is that you do not prove it. It's about the faith. Proving it is an act of blasphemy. And I think that's the dangerous part too, especially as like talking about something like racism being built into it, is that means there's never a way to disprove it. There's never a way to say the line about having slaves as long as you take okay care of them is okay. Like you can't say anything against that because if you say something anti, then, oh, well, you're, you're fussing with my beliefs. If you say something to support it, then you're blaspheming. So it's full circular logic. I was out, I just thought it was the like best little documentary. I was like, wow, this holds up. And people were so upset. Like, no, that's not how you do it. Nope. It was definitely true within my church culture that like the less you had to go on, the more pure and holy your faith was considered to be. I read the Bible several times and God never actually condemns anyone based on their skin tone he would tell them not to intermarry with other gods he would be like don't marry into this culture and take on their gods i am the only god that you're allowed to follow but even i believe moses married a person and in the Bible, his brother and his sister complained against her and they were saying messed up shit about her and God like smote them with boils until they said they were sorry. It's like, you're stupid on all your levels. Your doctrine isn't good either. I am big tripping on just like your doctrine isn't good because no, really, I, you know what? I remember that now because uh, his wife was a Canaanite, huh? She wasn't Israeli and she wasn't, she wasn't Hebrew. She was Canaanite. I've forgotten about that, but yeah, it's interesting Again, taking a document out of context is so dangerous, right? Because we're talking about vastly tribal people living in a time of empires and the danger of leaving your tribe to go into another tribe, which may be swallowed by 
ancient Egypt, ancient Rome, like these huge, powerful places during the time of like fucking Alexander the Great, right? Like taking it out of context is dangerous because the concept of race is relatively new. That's something 1800s Europeans decided was important, whether you are Caucasoid or Mongoloid or Negro, like they literally made that shit up. People did not care. People cared a little bit more about tribal associations, what we would maybe call like, what's the word for when you're afraid of just people different than you? Xenophobia. There you go. Xenophobia. It maybe was more like that. Like, oh, these people are different, so we don't know what to expect from them. But throughout history, you don't see a lot of documentation of we do not trust the dark skinned people. Like, no, it was just, hey, they're from a place we're not from and they're eating their food with their hands. We eat food with our fork or I eat food with my left hand. They're eating food with their right hand. I don't know what to do about this. Like practices, what was familiar was safe. And by taking that document out of context, you're, you're totally right. They see something about a cultural practice. Don't worship someone else's God. And they make it, uh-uh, all like a Mary is my cousin because she's the only one who has the same upbringing as me. And it's like, no, that is not what God meant. Stop it. That's not what God said. The more I learn about the history of what people were going through at that time, it's totally understandable that the Bible would be a really fucked up book. They had really fucked up lives. Their lives were brutal. People be murdered, die for no reason because some empire is taking over some other empire. Even from a viewpoint where you believe in God, you could say that God is not changing. It's our own ability to relate to God because we are always limited by our human nature. So it would make sense to me that as we become more enlightened and merciful, our God would become more enlightened and merciful in our perception. It's very stupid to take the position against change because change is the nature of the universe. If you've decided not to change, you've already died. I just think it's stupid to limit God like that. One of my preachers preached exactly what you were talking about just then. His whole thing was, why did God stop being so angry? He would talk about the God of the Old Testament who is like literally burning cities down because somebody did something he didn't like or flooding the whole earth or writing on people's walls. Why aren't you fucking listening to me? What happened? Why, when did God stop? And now he would always joke, it's hard to become a father, but which I thought was pretty hilarious. But um, his thing was exactly what you said. The ancient people who they're writing about in that part of the Bible literally had the strength in them to walk 40 days and 40 nights. Nah, none of us are going to do that. Like, no, no, we're sitting down. It's going to take me at least 80 days because I'm going to sit half of the day and going to whine about it out loud. They were walking through the fucking desert, right? And so we're talking a time scale that's supposed to be people early, early within time who were able to do this. They're carrying their goats and their children. These are ancient people. And that by the time we're talking about the days of Jesus, the Romans, the Greeks at that time, the they were decadent compared to that. Now, compared to where we live now, even that is grueling, walking to the well for water every day. Like none of us would really want to do that. We, we can, right? But that's not what we are. And he talked about the fact that God is an intelligent being and according to him fact, right? God is an intelligent being and changed his strategy that God said, oh, wait, people aren't like that anymore. What if I was more like them? And thusly part of that Trinity, the God to Jesus, the Holy Spirit thing was about understanding humans on that level and changing it from here's all this reverence you need to me. Instead, just like, no, what if we loved each other? What if we take care of each other? And that's why the message changed so radically is exactly what you said. So I, I find that really interesting, but most Churches aren't preaching that. Yeah, even if people believe something like that, I think the whole face of the damage Christianity is doing would be very different if they would accept that as a possibility. Also a thing that gets me about the constitutional purists is like George Washington died because he was out riding in a storm and he came to dinner late and he refused to go change. He sat in his cold, wet clothes as a punishment for himself for being so rude as to come to dinner late. And then he caught a head cold and his doctors bled him of over half his total body volume of blood. I don't want to be living by rules that George Washington set. He was a fucking idiot in ways that aren't even necessarily his fault. He was limited to the information that they had at that time. Like, it's real stupid. It's real the stupid to say. The man had wooden teeth. Come uh, on. <laughs> Actually, now we have to also admit he wore his slave's teeth. 
And what's funny about not having, uh, mm-hmm, he knocked the teeth out of his slave's mouth and he wore those. We say wow. wood. Yeah. Yep. That's what the rich people did back then. We say wood to make it feel better. They don't want to tell kids that, but half of what we learned about George Washington is a lie. Y'all, I literally Shit. cried when I learned that that cherry tree story was a lie. It's a story about not lying and it's a lie. It's a lie. Oh like what? But also Kim, so this is where the racism Shit. also gets in the way. So first he was doing this puritanical self-punishment, self-flagellation thing that maybe all of us were taught in church especially growing up thin like I remember times when it's like you have done something so heinous that you're not supposed to eat the only way to like make up for what you did is fasting and prayer right self-flagellation is such a big like kinky ass thing in the church so that's yes George Washington died but what's funny is the people he had enslaved had ancestral knowledge that could have saved him they weren't dying from shit like that. They worked out there in the cold and rain all the fucking time. And they had things when they did get sick of ways of healing each other, herbal medicines. But since he was a racist, he never would have listened to that. There's a, a little nice ironic twist in the fact that the doctor who bled him to death was the same doctor he used to bleed his slaves. Yeah, it's true. Oh my, the tie-ins are just amazing. I've been accused before. People are like, oh, you just tie everything back to racism. It's like, no, it's just that racism. Racism is a systemic issue in the U.S., so it is part of everything, all of the problems. It's just built into so much, and I really feel like religion, Christianity, I'm not going to say religion, because you know what, y'all, I'll admit, I think it's Christianity has pushed the racism into the U.S. culture to a point that it's almost inseparable. I think that's why so many people feel like you're attacking the American values when you're attacking racism, is I think at this point, it's almost inextricable from what we consider being America. I think that a component of this is that in the church, you are taught not to maintain your own ego. Personally, I don't want to think of myself as a racist person, so I go out of my way to educate myself on things and find things out. And like, if I find out that something is hurtful, then I'll stop saying it. And I've internalized a lot of lessons in my life. You know, racism is systemic. I benefit from ways that I can't understand necessarily. I'm still finding out things about my upbringing that are fucked up. So I I do all these things so that anyone from any background can come to me and say, hey, this hurt my feelings. This is racist. It's problematic without then having to feel responsible for my entire ego collapsing. But you have these people who are deliberately being broken down so that they will accept the bad treatment that these churches place on them so that they'll give away their money and they'll give away their time and they think that they don't deserve God's love, which is a really caustic and (laughs) hurtful thing to believe. You know, well, you can't say this thing is racist because my particular in-group has decided that it's not racist. And so you need to realign your emotions to line up with my internal perception of who I am when their internal perception is like fucked up to begin with. That's so true. The concepts of ego within the church, the concept of self, the way I grew up, there was a really delicate balance of like, you know, I could come home from school, like, look, I made straight A's. I studied so hard. And I would literally get cut off. Like the Lord got you through. Like you're not allowed to even be proud of like the smallest achievement in that primes you though, to always be giving credit to someone else. But now you know what else that does? That means when it's time to take responsibility, oh, it wasn't me. It was the devil. Uh, No, God wanted, it was part of God's plan. It was the will. And that's then how people never try to end the racist systems that they benefit from is because, well, it's not my fault. No, that's the, that's the way it is. That's the plan. That's the devil at work. I can't fight the devil. I'm just me. It was so interesting that my family really kind of didn't waver it in this area because I was taught that when tempted by Satan, I should say, get thee behind me. But at the same time, if the car payment hadn't gone through, that was the devil. But shouldn't you just be able to say, get thee behind me? And the car payment magically appears because you have faith. But you never get answers to that stuff, right? That's like a rabbit hole that's like never ending the circular logic of it. But it allows people to see fucked up systems at play and say, oh, no, this is fine because this is how it's always been. This is the plan. Someone has a plan. I don't know who it is and I don't understand it, but I'm not supposed to. It's a plan that's something bigger than me. A lot of the racism and misogyny and gender roles were always pitched to me as being, we do things the old fashioned way. We do things the old school way. And it really served to 
shields people from knowing that we were being radicalized. Like it wasn't always that way. It's actively getting worse. I feel like isolation is an important tool that the church uses. Valerie, we we haven't joked about this a lot, you and I, but I wonder if it was the same for you as it was for me and Kim, where I was like in a time capsule, so to speak. So because of how my church worked, like, I don't know, like I didn't know who NSYNC was. I, I was real late, y'all. NSYNC Backstreet Boys. To this day, I can't tell you which one Justin Timberlake was in. I have no clue. It was one of them though. I You could have thrown like Blink 182 in there. I still wouldn't have known. Like I just didn't know because we weren't supposed to listen to secular music. I would turn my radio on and put my little headphones on and be like in bed under the cover with the radio listening to pop music as if it was like some like really fucked up weird like trying to keep up with my culture. Like to this day, like I look up things that I think people don't have to look up. Like if I'm supposed to go to dinner with somebody, I'll watch a movie where people go to dinner. So I'm like, what am I supposed to talk about? What am I supposed to look like? How should I dress? Because I have no fucking clue because I wasn't socialized (laughs) into any of that because I was at fucking Bible study while everybody else was getting socialized. But that isolation of telling people this is normal, when if you get in the world, you realize like, oh shit, wait, girls don't wear pink out here. Everyone dresses like Avril Lavigne. They keep us isolated and make us feel weird for like doing secular things. I don't know if that was your experience too. I definitely did have some of that experience. Luckily, it was not with music because my dad simply just loved music. So he listened to all kinds of music. We, of course, would like listen to more oldies than like whatever was popular. And eventually I have older brothers. So they got into like more alternative music and they just couldn't stop them. But as far as like film, like the only things we were allowed to watch were like Disney films or sometimes like I still haven't figured out what they were. But we used to get these biblical VHS in the mail and so they were the all of these like little like animated stories of biblical things and we would watch those and sometimes they would throw in like a historical figure like I remember there was one about Helen Keller just really miscellaneous stuff and I was like okay well I guess this is like Christian cartoons I'll have to look it up sometime I'm sure like watching those now I'd be like whoa okay we do but yeah have to do some episodes where we get together and watch stuff that would be super fun to just like play by play watch some of those things and react to it because I'm sure it's like a whole can of worms and I wasn't sure if this was because of religion and being poor or if it was just the religion part but like only having like certain clothes that we would wear that I was never allowed to like wear like trendy clothes and I think that was part because we were a large family on a small budget and so I would get a lot of like hand-me-down clothes too even from my brothers and I can see now as an adult how I am sort of like playing out the fantasies I had when I was a kid or just like I get to wear the things that I want and I get to watch whatever I want and I get to listen to whatever I want like no one can tell me that it's like immoral or wrong because they can find you like they they told you like you couldn't read Lord of the Rings you couldn't read certain books there's always some list of things that we weren't allowed to do for some reason my mom thought Lenny Kravitz was the devil and I was like Lenny Kravitz like oh my god I have a formative memory in my personal development (laughs) of I was staying at a house of friends of ours and they had a TV and I snuck down in the wee hours of the morning when the sun was just rising to watch MTV on their TV and I saw I want to say it was like the American Woman video from Lenny Kravitz and I was so attracted to both him and his sexy (laughs) his sexy lady drummer and it was it was like peeking into a whole nother world and it's wild how in complete my cultural knowledge is because things like I was allowed to read Lord of the Rings because my dad liked Lord of the Rings and anything my dad liked we got to consume because there's actually no real set standard it's like whatever the person in charge is cool with yeah it was like a flavor of the week it was like if they liked it you're allowed to consume it and then if someone mentioned that there was some sort of like devil's play or like magic the gathering cards I remember them being like all up in arms 
things about that. And even even like anime and Pokemon. I remember there being some sort of scandal about Pokemon, but like you couldn't stop me. I was obsessed. So I was like, I gotta catch them all though. <laughs> so Yu-Gi-Oh! Let me was enjoy a no-go. something. <laughs> Anything with cards. My family and cards didn't get along, but y'all, we need to talk about this episode. Maybe that's the episode we need to do because when I tell you I grew up on some weird Christian cartoon super book, The Flying House, which are both anime, like made in Japan. I'm very curious what was going on in Japan in the 80s for these hyper-Christian. It was a time travel. They would go into this house. The whole house would fly through time and they would appear during a biblical thing for the kids to learn a lesson. Uh, there was the, uh, not moral oral. It's what moral oral is based on. It was called Davy and Goliath. It was like a stop motion similar to Wallace and Gromit. Cartoon Network made a spoof of it called Moral Oral and it looks exactly the same. It's kind of like eerie. Yeah. Um, there was, did I say super book? There was Salty, Salty. the Singing Song Book. Like that's why I was allowed to watch anime. So many of those things had that anime look to them that when Pokemon came out, Sailor Moon was another one. My mom just was like, she was questioning Sailor Moon because she's like, what are they wearing? And it was like, school outfits. That's how they dress in Japan. And she just bought it. She didn't question it. (laughs) She was just fine with it. But yeah, so much of those old cartoons were not salty. That was something different. The Donut Man. Y'all, I could go forever. I actually want to do an episode on Christian media and the degradation of the quality of Christian media. Because you can trace it from the things like VeggieTales, which was actually genuinely good content, versus the stuff that you find on PureFlix now, which is entirely, we don't have to be good because we're just creating a religious alternative for Christian kids to watch. And it's kind of sad where it's like, damn, this is the shit you're willing to accept now? God damn. That's like a totally separate episode I want to do. But I wasn't allowed to watch anime because at some point my parents got a virus on our computer that would just instantly like load up hentai. And so they decided that all anime was porn. didn't get to watch it. I would love to have an episode strictly about media aimed at kids, like cartoons specifically, and like how they create that Christian media for kids. Because I feel like during the early 90s, it was interesting. There was some interesting stuff. You'd get like the random religious cartoon that was actually really good, like the one they did for Moses uh, and the one they did with the coat of many colors. Yeah. Was it Jacob? I remember what that is his name? Joseph. Yeah. Joseph and the yeah. coat of many colors. Yeah. So you was, mean like, the Donnie Osmond one or the cartoon one? The cartoon one. That was that one was good, yeah. And the Prince of Egypt, man, that animation was beautiful. We had a handful of really well done Christian cartoons, and then they just went like off the rails. There was one that was like a lamb chop for Christian kids called Gospel Bill. It was like puppets type of thing, and I watched I so many Gospel of them. Bill. But then there were the creepy ones like Salty and the Donut Man, who was like they were doing a Barney type of thing. But because of there was so much praising of the Lord, it got creepy. The Donut Man's theme was life without Jesus is like a donut. There's a hole in the middle of your heart. And he was just this like rando dude with the 70s stash hanging out with a donut box. Talking about tell, the holes you need to fill. Talking about the holes you need to fill. Oh, <laughs> and oh was wow. So, like, I mean, at the time I was getting a little older, I might've been like 10 or 11 and my siblings are just like sitting, like clapping and I am snot giggling on the other side of the sofa like yep gotta fill up them holes don't you donut man and salty i don't know why salty was weird i think it's because it was a guy in a book it was a guy in a book with legs and (laughs) with legs and he also like his face and his legs and his arms stuck out the spine of the book like it was really clunky and awkward it was terrifying and it was something about the way he always was like praise the lord he was so weird that would be a good episode and even talking about the racism within those shows and the way that it portrayed itself because now what's funny is it was the 90s we were into multiculturalism so there always had to be a black kid an asian kid a kid with a disability like a wheelchair or a hearing aid like you know how it was all in three white children the rainbow (laughs) spread of diversity the the polished platter yes as long as no one is fat like that that would seem to be the rule back then nobody can be fat but we can have everything else but they still the way that the stories were enacted very often required children of color to kind of shuck and jive and dance around all goofy and Asian kids always had to be you know so extra spiritual and meek and let's not even talk about the rare instance where there'd be a Native American kid talking about the fucking great spirit like 
oh my god so it's so ultra cringy like I get what they were trying to do but even within those they made a lot of really awkward clunky I'm not going to call them mistakes because it was just ignorance and sometimes intentional but I do remember watching a few of them being really excited there was a kid who looked eerily like me y'all like to the point that my mom was like your dad sleeps around that kid was not related to me but it was called mother goose gospel uh, another type of barney-esque one but that's super familiar yeah y'all smoky mountain kids we could we could get on some kids media i don't remember much about like race in the things I watched as a kid but watching commentary videos about the new shit that's on pure flicks and you can see that they're still making these throwaway jokes about horribly insensitive racial shit where it's just like if you decide as a culture that you're not allowed to tell me that I'm racist you're not growing with the rest of us you're not getting better. You're not moving on. Another thing I wanted to talk about, I think when I was a kid and just starting to become aware of race as a concept, as it was presented to me, the tone of the church was more like DC talk, colored people, gentle, let's get along. God loves us all. And for me, I didn't really have the option not to believe in God. I just had to decide how I was going to reconcile the existence of God. And even as a child, a God who in this universe where he made everyone, a God who makes certain kinds of people knowing that he will love them less is a monster. That's not a God that I want to serve. And so for me, it was devastating to see the church get more and more racist because I'm like, that's the only thing that sold me, that God loves us all equally. And now you're losing that? That's depressing. That's a good point i also want to challenge us to think about it's not that the church got more racist it's that we became more aware like let's give ourselves credit that like the race part is built into the spread of christianity it was built in from the holy roman empire built in from the beginning we are better than them right but as we've grown and those challenges you talked about kim of learning to assess and look at the ways that maybe you benefit in life just because of skin tone right like people that literally don't even have to know anything else about you to make that value judgment that's you that's your growth. And I think that's important that we all acknowledge too. The same with me and learning all these ways that I had internalized my own oppression due to the church. Like I no longer sit and wait for miracles to happen. I'm not waiting for a house to be built for me. I understand that I deserve good things here in life now while I'm existing. It's not fair to wait till we're dead for stuff. And like that's all work that we've done to be able to step back and see it because there are still people right now who are okay in church knowing that they are just better than someone else because they went to church today because you know one of the churches my other members of my family went to had a $500 club y'all you had to pay $500 to God every week to sit in the front row of the church Jesus fucking every week uh, and your church crazy one of the reasons your church fascinates me so much is because I was part of a large fellowship of churches so if a cult of personality started to develop around one pastor the people in authority would just yank that pastor and put him in a different church or sit him down from ministry altogether your church really just had the one guy who got to do whatever he wanted the rise and fall was fast and I think I don't know if I've told either of you but I got brave one day and looked up a little bit because there's a part of me that's like no way this happened and nobody cared no way this happened and people were just okay with it but yeah it happened I found little stories here in there not a lot he was a very powerful person in the town I grew up but yeah I told you like he referred to himself as the bishop that that means something right that means a specific thing that you've done he didn't go to seminary like there was nothing like that he wore the robes like it's not a title he earned yeah and he would wear the robes with the pointy hat and they carry him in on this thing like on their on their shoulders they carry his wife in sometimes and it, it was so much pictures of him where you would expect to see pictures of Jesus or something like it was really fucking fast before he got murdered it was in some ways it's kind of gangster like it has its own like black America flavor to it like all right this cult I'm tired of it now and it was just over like it was very focused and concentrated and it was like a pyramid scheme but I find southern mega churches work like pyramid schemes I'm the main I'm the top and I'm gonna get four people under me you get four people under you you start a ministry of music with a kids section and a dance section 
connection and whatever. Now you start a ministry of education. You know, it really did work like a pyramid scheme. I'm curious what the background financials were. The fellowship I grew up in, that was their whole business model. They approached church planting like a pyramid scheme. There were financial incentives because every church paid tithes to their mother church, which then in turn paid tithes to their mother church. I don't know why they fucking called them mother churches with the patriarchal authority structure they had. Like that was stupid. But the one in was like the mother church of all mother churches. So if you planted churches, you got a financial reward for doing so. In terms of how Mormonism works, it's very much the most successful pyramid scheme of fucking churches. You do any sort of like research into like how the financials work for the Mormon church, which I've started to look at now much later on, you know, you realize like just how much money they're just squirreling away and like privately investing and and you have to wonder where it's all going because there's literally no transparency to where it goes yeah i'm not sure if this was universal but tying again kind of back to the racism issue within the church is one of the first ways money moved out of black neighborhoods because okay we all know the whole story behind desegregation and emancipation as a whole right and in the south it took extra long they really took their fucking time. And so you had Black neighborhoods pretty much pop up that still had white ministries, some of them, depending on where you were. And it would take ties and offering out of Black communities and then put them in a white person's hand who would then take them into white ventures, white businesses that would not serve Black people. And it was kind of, uh, not kind of, it's ultra fucked up, right? It led to the need for the creation of the Black church as its own separate entity to be able to actually keep any of that within. But of course, you know, now now churches get all these like tax breaks and stuff like that. That didn't exist for Black people because they couldn't be acknowledged as true land or business owners. They very often had to either create a praise house on their own, like on land, they just go build something, do it out of their homes, or they were renting a building. And so there's all of this history too of that like kind of money seeding, um, almost money laundering pretty much. You take money out of a tax paying population, give it to a non-tax paying entity so that that money can then go into areas that otherwise would have had to be taxed. It's kind of wild how it all ties together, how it's all just part of one big everlasting story. Maybe that's the true eternal life is racism in oh, the Bible. God. I don't think I've told you this story. I think I told Val this story. My dad was actually a pastor for a while. And the first place we pastored was Las Vegas. The church already existed technically, but there was like one person going. So we basically built the church from the ground up, but we ended up getting this condo that was suspiciously cheap for the size that it was. And we moved into West Las Vegas. I knew that my dad got jumped by a gang. And so I called my mom uh, and I was like, hey, so do you remember what gang ran the neighborhood we lived in? And she's like, yeah, I think it was the Crips. And I'm like, excuse me? And she's like, yeah, the Donna Street Crips. They rented this condo from some Mormon white man and they had no access to TV. The internet wasn't a thing yet. They probably couldn't afford the newspaper and they just moved square into the middle of gang territory. And for a while we were like under protection because like that's the pastor. He just wants to tell people about Jesus. But then the Rodney King riots happens. There was like another riot in West Las Vegas specifically and they ran us out of the area. Like they were burning shit on the lawn. They did jump my dad and he basically handled it by just not going down in a way that was terrifying where it's like somebody smacked him across the back with a manhole cover and he just kept standing through it then also while all this was going on our church was almost entirely black so we didn't get pigeonholed into a particular view of what blackness meant because we also had this church that loved us I mean my dad was full-on white savior mode like it's cool that I guess he was not racist at that time but I mean for all I know the difference between him and Jim Jones is that he wasn't doing drugs I hear that the Kipling effect that white savior thing is always really hard because now I didn't experience that in the church I went to what I experienced that in is things like in Georgia there was something like the do y'all remember the dare program with like don't do drugs and shit yeah yeah Yeah. there were some christian versions of that as well as y'all get it christian bodybuilders this is the temple of god and they would be 
massive. I'm telling you, these dudes were, I don't know what type of like Jesus steroids they were on, but like it was a thing. And they would come to the schools flexing for Christ and doing all the stuff. Like I remember one of them literally saying, my arms could hold me to his cross. And it's like, whoa, 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 calm down. That is not a thing we do in church. Get out of here. Bodybuilders go too hard, entirely too hard. Too hard. They went way too hard. There was a flavor at my school of Christian who was like the straight edge emo kid who's Christian. Like I'm hardcore fucking like straight edge emo they'd have the hair and they dress the part but then they'd be like wearing a polo and then but like i only listen to straight edge screamo okay let me tell you the christian emo music like jars of clay okay that shit slammed i loved it (laughs) i'm gonna admit it (laughs) jars of clay got kicked out of the christian music scene because they were like hey maybe we shouldn't hate gay people People. so jars of clay is totally still chill to listen to that's good to know and sad because i'm telling you i had to listen to like christian i don't know what you call that genre secular christian like I, I don't even know what to call it but they were just like when they broke out with that carry the weight of his crown i was like whoa like, i like that so much i do like that. pod uh paramore started oh, yeah. out as one of those groups and uh, what was the one everyone listened to for a second? I feel like a monster. Skillet? Skillet. There's Skillet. Flyleaf. Um, is the other one Flyleaf? Was? Oh, Flyleaf always threw me off. I was like, this is, oh, it's it's about God. It's about Jesus. It? Yeah, yeah you had to like pay <laughs> attention Jesus. to the lyrics. They're like, if they're, if they're singing, they're using male pronouns, but not in like a gay way. Like there's, but it is gay, but also it's not gay, but also... <laughs> If, if you you're not sure if gay. Family Force 5, they had like a shit. Oh, it was whoa. like a really catchy the name. Bop. I remember it, but I don't remember what it's associated with. Mm-hmm. Love Addict, Love Addict. Mine yeah. was Zombie. The song that I was into, it was called Zombie. I can't remember how it goes. I remember yeah. it was called Zombie because there's one by the Cranberries, of course. That's like right, the right, right. song. But yeah, oh, I remember them. I think they're from Georgia, y'all. I'm looking it up now because like, yeah. They're from Atlanta. Oh, wow. All yeah. right. I was right. a little older when they came out. I think I was in high school, maybe. But I remember being like, oh, great. Now we're spitting out like emo Christian alternative rock, new wave, yeah. new metal. Speaking on like Jim Jones, that is a very insidious thing that happens from time to time. The founder of the Westboro Baptist Church was actually a civil rights lawyer for a long time, and he did a lot of good. But the problem with that white savior mentality is you can't get that hit like once you actually accomplish something and you still want the power that righteous indignation and to fight against something he turned it into like all of this hateful shit about gays and you know jim jones we want to think of him as being an inherently bad person because we don't want to think about the role that your choices play in creating the person so he probably did have good intentions and then he started doing a lot of drugs and then he started loving this position of authority that he put himself in and he wanted the power and he experienced exploited the very people he claimed to be helping. Yeah, and that's the problem with the white savior mentality is it's always about self. It's always about putting self in power. It pretty much says, I'm already a better being, so let me help you. And that's always the problem with it versus, hey, what can I do for the community? It's never about that. It's not, It's always putting self in a place of power and saying, as someone above you, as the, there was always white people who came in with these bodybuilding, all of you young future diabetics can blah 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 like the way they talk to us y'all and yes okay there are health disparities in the black community that yes a lot of people have higher rates of diabetes and black and native populations but like you're not going to save us from that by acting like that what if you did community work instead figure out what's going on in the community why we can't buy specific foods especially like my neighborhood it kind of slowly become a food desert there wasn't really a grocery store like a full grocery store close around so we had to shop at the corner store nine times out of ten and then some of the stores weren't taking uh we called them food stamps back then it's not called that anymore but um you know so there was a lot that went into it beyond us not exercising none of us drove 
we got more exercise than the average person just walking from like all around the neighborhood. And of course, you know, back then we're jump roping, skating, playing basketball. Like, so it wasn't about the exercise at all. They were just wrong, but they assumed themselves to be in power. And what happens once that power seems to be running out, then they got to find something else to be in charge of again. And it becomes, it's toxic, not becomes, it's toxic from square one. Um, And there are different ways to go about community advocacy than saying, I already know better. Let me teach you Mowgli about how we live in the city. Like there's other ways to do it. And it's also the whole Messiah concept is destructive and it doesn't work. And so it's always like, well, I thought this particular white guy would be the guy who wouldn't fall, who wouldn't be have all these sex scandals. Like, no, the Messiah model doesn't work. A change and progress is accomplished through community. Yeah, definitely a big problem inside of society at large. And then, of course, like within Christianity, there's always got to be like the Messiah. There's always got to be like the person who saves everyone else. And it's like, it's a trope. The trope for a needs reason. to die. It needs to die like Jesus died. <laughs> <laughs> I just turned my mic on right as you the said stereotype, that. Kim. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> No stones to roll away. Y'all, what if the Messiah was the journey we had along the way? Right. Yeah. The friends we made along the way. The trauma we experienced. The mute, the, the, the group trauma we experienced along the way. Oh, the collective trauma is <laughs> yeah, the Messiah. collective trauma. It will never die. <laughs> But you know what? In some ways, I like that, considering at least the way I learned a bit about the Messiah is this should usher in peace eventually. And you know what? Not saying that the trauma was good or anything, but I think in some ways, us recognizing what we went through as trauma is a good first step to dismantling that same exact system. Because the scariest thing to me is meeting people like us who don't see anything wrong with it. Mm. Oh, different strokes, different folks. It's like, no. No, no, this isn't different strokes, different folks type of shit. This is toxicity. This is abuse. It's it's using people and keeping people from things that they need. Like, I, I do think that's an important concept that the fact that we realize that it was traumatic is so important to like, not just healing ourselves, but hopefully something like this podcast opening up ways of healing for other people too. For sure. I want a shirt that says I was a pastor's kid and all I got was spiritual trauma and attachment <laughs> issues. <laughs> So I'm looking at our list of all of the sins that we can suggest for people to do. And one of them says sorcery, practicing magic with the aid from evil spirits. Like, that's a very specific spin. And I'm like, it's it's kind of spooky season right now. I'm not sure if it'll be spooky season when um, folks, folks uh, are listen listening to, to this. It. Yeah, the maybe spirits. not evil spirits. They could just be like, well, but also spirit. some of the spirits that your church told you are evil are not actually evil go. so maybe yeah. you know re-examine whether a spirit is evil you might be surprised what you find yeah while the veil is thin i might try to consort with Lilith. that sounds fun go on go forth practice sorcery and of course if you have anything to contribute or just want to tell us your thoughts your feelings your questions feel free to reach out to us at the eden's apple podcast at gmail.com and thanks also, for having me y'all yeah, anytime thank you, <laughs> bye, bye.